0: keeping First Nations kids with their families and connecting to communities are major factors in maintaining their overall health and wellbeing. Culturally appropriate early childhood education and care are at the heart of a new strategy currently being developed by the sector. Earlier this year, the peak community-controlled organisation, Snake National Voice for Our Children, announced a new partnership with the National Indigenous Australians Agency. The new strategy will be designed to refocus policy to enable greater collaboration and coordination of services across government, the early childhood sector, families, and children. Auntie Muriel Bamblett is the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Child Care Agency, or VACA, as well as Chair of SNAKE, National Voice for Our Children, and she joins me now. Auntie Muriel, welcome back to Speaking Out. Yeah, Larissa, thanks for having me back. Now, it has been a long time since we've had you on the show. How have you been?
1: I'm pretty busy. We've still got the work of the treaty happening. We've got the Truth and Justice Commission in Victoria. And now you know that we take on guardianship. We're now in the process of considering taking on investigations so that we can get better outcomes for Aboriginal children. So I think... It's really busy in Victoria at the moment.
0: (laughs) Make me feel like an underachiever and I get tired just (laughs) listening to what you're doing. But it's so good to have you back on the program. A lot's been happening for the childcare sector since we last spoke, as you've mentioned. But before we get into that... We've just heard about the alarming figures from the ABS around First Nations youth suicide rates. As a peak childcare provider and from your work in the sector, what does the disproportionately high numbers in our communities tell you?
1: Look, I think that we know that young people, we need to do a lot more work. I mean, children are born into complex family environments. Obviously, poverty is a big disadvantage, is a big issue for our communities. And children born with parents with, you know, there's drug and alcohol, mental health, family violence in the home, actually take those issues on themselves. And I think that we need to recognise the significance of the amount of abuse that children, the racism they have to deal with on top of all the issues at home. So I think that it's not a simple issue, but I think we don't know the warning signs. You know, I heard last night of a young person that committed suicide and there were no warning signs. And so this is something that is tragic. It absolutely tears at the heart of our communities when you lose a young person and I know that you know there are many community members now that are struggling and it seems to be that you take your eye off young people and think that all your young people are doing well and I think that we know check for your kids make sure they're fine I think that it's a really big issue I know that a lot of the issues that we see relate to young people as I said born in houses where they have complex needs where they don't have access to good counselling where they don't have access to good supports. I think mainstream has done a lot to understand the developing brain and what's happening with young people and to be able to deal with their trauma. But as I said, I think most of the issues seem to appear to come from school and from peers and racism or bullying in the schools. And I think that has to be a starting ground for us. How do we actually make sure that children are doing well in the school, emotionally as well as physically well in the school environment?
0: Reflecting on your extensive experience in child protection, how does a connection to culture and community assist the mental development of First Nations children?
1: look obviously a lot of our work is around returning children to country being able to make sure they've got a cultural support plan making sure that they've got genealogy aboriginality our role really is to for many aboriginal children that have got no connection is really about giving them a sense of who they are because you know it's a well-known fact many of our carers are non-Aboriginal people and children growing up in a, an environment where they can't see their culture, where they don't live with their Aboriginal culture every day, acculturate into a different society and a different way of living. And then when they get to adolescence, they struggle with the fact that they know they're Aboriginal but then can't connect in any way. Because, you know, Larissa, the first thing you ask me, you know, normally is, who's your mob, Muriel? Where are you from? And I'll proudly say, yorta, yorta, shah, rung and rattle off all my peoples and who I'm related to, and people will connect us up like this. But imagine for a young person what it's like to be able to not know who you are, where you come from, and to not be able to be proud of that heritage and where you come from. And I think that's really critical. We know that in juvenile justice and even our Koori Youth Council say that the biggest thing that young people say is that We don't know anything about who we are and where we come from and I think in many ways we forget to talk to our children about who they are and their culture where we think that just because we're Aboriginal they're going to be able to learn their stories, know who they are, know the history of their people in this country. And I think, you know, for me being involved in the Truth and Justice Commission in Victoria, it really, you know, resonates that we've got to do more ourselves. We can't say we're Aboriginal without taking on responsibility and obligations for pursuing all of our nations, all of our Aboriginal people, keeping our stories, our traditions, our ceremonies alive. I think that we just blissfully go on you know, throughout our life, living and being an Aboriginal, but we have to take greater responsibility for the revival and, you know, obviously for our people to
0: still exist in this country. Otherwise, our footprint will be gone. Given all of this, why is the new strategy that you're working on so important and how does it differ from past approaches?
1: Well, I think that we know that from our point of view, when children get a good early year start, and I think it's critical to understand. You know, I went to my doctor and my doctor said to me, the greatest gift your mother gave you was really good antenatal. She really did all the things and my mum was a stay at home mum so I got really good early years like really good parenting and and my mum didn't have issues she didn't drink she didn't smoke and she used to make me go to school every day she had a view that education was important and i think we know that you know when children have really good early years good maternal and child health good early years as far as access to good child care services and particularly Aboriginal ones, we know that our Aboriginal services are more than just an education base. They actually provide parenting support. They actually see as well for us children that have got issues as far as what's happening at home and we're able to address it early enough. And so I think our early years services are critical to our Aboriginal communities. So if you go to every remote community in, in the Northern Territory, they have an early year center and you can see they run play groups they work with young mums they work with young dads they actually provide nutrition programs and all sorts of supports to family as well as providing early year services to young children and so when children go to early year services we can actually pick up whether they've got developmental issues whether there are health issues you know hearing issues teeth problems all those things that's a holistic early year service which many of our aboriginal communities deliver and so snake's view is is that really we want all aboriginal children to have the best start in life to be able to make sure that they're school ready when they get to school that they're prepared for and understand the school environment understand peers understand how to be able to negotiate the school system and so you know like my children went to YAPRA which is a multifunctional aboriginal children's service and my children were when they went to school and my son went to pick my granddaughter up one day at school and my, my son saw him playing with a number of career kids in the school and he said oh you're playing with your friends and she turned around and said, they're not my friends they're my cousins we weren't related to all those children but what a lovely sense of connection knowing who you are and she had a really strong aboriginal base and continues to have that
0: today with the strategy what's involved in developing it and where is that process currently at Well, we've been working
1: with the Commonwealth, so it's got a number of elements. Obviously, we do want to look at capacity building the current sector, and so it is about a workforce. And so many years ago, governments invested in health workforce and and they invested in early years workforce. But it seems to be sporadic. You know, you, you get it at a period of time and then we don't hear anything about it. And so it is about supporting in each state and territory bodies to take on the role of advocating and supporting children and I need to be really clear some states do early years really well. I lived in Queensland for a period of time and Gundala Preschool, amazing place. I've got triplets and so they used to pick up the triplets every morning. I was so keen to see that little bus drive up every morning and pick up my kids. But how important was picking my kids up because I didn't have a car, I didn't have a licence, so I wouldn't have been able to get them to kinder. And like my kids really have done so well just by being through an Aboriginal kindy. They were able to develop friendships that, They still have today. So how important is that? We are actually looking at mapping the whole of Australia and understanding where our early year services are. We're also obviously looking at mainstream and their role and their responsibility. So the Commonwealth has made a commitment to look at how do we actually get the best results. And it is aimed at children and where they live. So we're looking at where our Aboriginal populations are, where access is an issue and how do we address some of those really big issues.
0: You mentioned earlier that in terms of your work, one of the changes that's going to come in is that there's now going to be an ability to investigate. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that and why that's so fundamental and critical and why you think that's going to lead to changes.
1: Well, obviously in Victoria, we've taken on Aboriginal guardianship and I think initially there was a lot of concern from the community and I think there still is. There's quite a lot of concern about why do Aboriginal organisations want to be involved in child protection? That's about removing children. Our experience is exactly the opposite since we've taken on guardianship and I'm the guardian at the moment of 80 children and so what we've seen is the department they measure success with the numbers of children that go home and so reunification is really critical and children going home, and particularly children that have been on long-term orders, we do a high five when one child goes on once they've been on a long-term order. And what we're seeing is the reunification rates for Aboriginal organisations is significantly higher than what the government and mainstream. So what we've seen is the department has a 12% rate of reunification of Aboriginal children, what we're getting is a 28% rate of children going home to family and to community. So to me, that says that if we keep going at this rate, we will have the numbers of children that are in the care system and that's critical because Aboriginal peoples hang in there, they know how to get the best outcomes, they know referral pathways. We're supporting grandparents through brokerage, through targeted care package, through helping them put extra bedrooms, get bigger houses, all those sorts of things that you need to do to be able to take on the care of your children or to keep your children with your grandparents in their communities. So, all those things are critical aspects of our work. But moving to investigations is new for us and we just think that the department is too quick to remove and too slow to refer families to supports. And I believe if we have the capacity to investigate, I believe a lot more families will get help earlier and we will be able to identify and work with all the other institutions that are out there. So we can work with the childcare centres, we can work with the police, we can work where we know children are notified where organisations or systems seek our kids at risk coming to their services. So we know that at schools, we know teachers are the biggest notifiers of children at risk, and they see children who come to school without lunch. They see children that come to school with sores, with different things, children that will tell them that things are happening in their home. So they notify. We want to be able to get those notifications and go and work with mum and dad and find out what's going on. There's different ways of doing. We've been working with Aboriginal Housing Victoria during COVID. You know, we knew that a lot of our families couldn't get out of the houses and out of the homes. And so what Aboriginal Housing did is actually got a family support worker and their role was to do a wellbeing check on all the families. And we offered referral pathways to our organisation to, you know, make sure that, families were linked into appropriate supports, whether it be food supports, whether it be emergency relief, whether it be access to our parenting programs, drug and alcohol, mental health, homelessness, all those supports, within the first week, our numbers skyrocketed. People don't realise that in public housing, many of our families are struggling and we don't offer support to them. We just provide public housing, we give them a house but we don't actually support them to live in the house and so I think we often need to think innovatively and differently about how do we actually service that people and how do we look after people that are vulnerable. There are many opportunities and I think COVID showed us that Digital poverty was the biggest issue that we were dealing with and how do we get to such a terrible situation with so many children not having a computer or even access to the internet in the home? How do you do your homework, Larissa? We were really, really gobsmacked to see how many Parents themselves were illiterate, didn't know how to turn on a computer. How do you support your child to do home learning when you can't read and write yourself? You don't know how to use a computer. So those sorts of things are the things that I believe that the Aboriginal community-controlled organisations deal with, and people don't often see it.
0: It's so interesting to hear you give us those case studies because it really emphasises a theme that comes up in a lot of our conversations, which is the critical role that our community-controlled organisations play and how they're so much better place to deal with issues at the coalface. Given, as you mentioned, the challenges of the current environment and social restrictions regularly placed on states and communities due to COVID-19 and our cultural need to engage with our communities, how have you maintained your strength and what's kept you motivated through this last period? I think um, you know, like I'm so lucky I've got a really
1: good team. I mean, we did take a greater focus on well-being of all of our staff at Backer, and I got so many well-being packs at home here. And like even 3K and D dropped off a well-being pack to me. The things that we did during COVID, I would hope that we continue to do. We dropped food off to elders. We dropped wellbeing packs off to elders. We still delivered on our essential services. We still had to make sure that we had children in sight. We still had to make sure that carers were supported. We were doing wellbeing checks and dropping off parcels of food. We were supporting our families. I think that everybody thinks it was a health crisis in the Aboriginal community. We didn't see it as just a health crisis because we knew that we were the most at risk because of our compromised immune systems, but we also knew because the way our Aboriginal families congregate, and there was no way we were going to be able to address because we had overcrowded housing. And so we all knew that we had to look after the well-being of our communities. But it was our work with Elders, I think, that we really excelled. We had a theme at Vaca where no one gets left behind. There was a Blackfella COVID helpline set up or Facebook page set up, and we saw young people dropping off parcels of food and we saw other aboriginal people volunteering to pick elders up and take them shopping we saw incidences of people donating all sorts of things and taking them to in the end a warehouse that we were able to lease because we were getting so many donations. And these were done by young people in our community. And so, to me, I know that we live with crisis as Aboriginal people every day, but I think it demonstrated that we have got a really human, caring nature within our communities. And when something like that happened, I thought it brought out the best in us I think it absolutely showed the level of caring that we have and that many of us have lost we got so involved with everything else and I think COVID brought us back to who we are back to being community about caring about nurturing about sharing about understanding but I think Like everybody else, we really did struggle with funerals, you know, like losing loved ones. And I think the trauma of loss and not being able to properly say goodbye, I think, is still something that we challenge with here in Victoria. And I know that, you know, many are still struggling with the significant mental health issues after COVID. And so, you know, the government's working on how do we actually do things to be able to help people get over
0: lockdown. Aunty Muriel, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and hear the wisdom you have to share. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for taking the time to speak with us tonight. No, thank you for having me. Always <laughs> love having you on the show. Aunty Muriel Bamblett is the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Child Care Agency, or VACA, and the chair of SNAKE, National Voice for Our Children.